welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go to your call? It's 499-9526, and that will get you right straight to the top of the list. Go ahead and give us a call. Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. And this beautiful Saturday morning, we got plenty of time to answer your questions. And should you happen to maybe think of something after we go off the air at 11 o'clock or maybe during the week when we're not on the air, you can go to our website and get your questions answered that way. Right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. You can take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get your questions answered that way. That's right. You can get your questions answered next day. <laughs> now, we're going to get them answered at night, I can tell you. <laughs> After about 8.30, I'm sound asleep, but I'll guarantee you next morning when I get up about 5, I'll pop on there and get an answer back to you. All right. How about within 24 hours then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Tons of other things on that site you might want to avail yourself of. One is the detailed topics. I put one on just this morning about – Miles per tank full, uh-huh. and that is a little bit of a, I guess, a funny thing because a lot of people seem to like to see how many miles per tank full of gas they can get, and that's great if they're doing it by improving their driving style or whatever, uh-huh. but what a lot of folks seem to be doing is that they are overfilling their tanks, trying to get that last little bit of a mile per tank full out yeah. of it, which can actually damage the car quite a bit. And this article goes into the ways that either overfilling or running the tank low right. damages the car. And some people are surprised to find that out, that you run the tank low on fuel, and I mean low probably when you start getting below a quarter of a tank. Right. Particularly on a modern car, you're actually doing damage to the fuel system. Exactly, because the fuel pump is actually located inside the gas tank. That's right. And the fuel actually cools the pump. That's right. It cools and lubricates the pump. The fuel actually runs through the motor of the pump, and that is what lubricates it. That is what cools it. Also, the weight of the fuel adds head pressure to the pump, which greatly reduces the amount of load on the pump. Correct. So it doesn't have to work as hard. So what you've got is sort of a triple whammy. By lowering the head pressure, you're making the pump work harder. You're reducing the cooling that's available, and you're reducing the lubrication. So you can very easily damage the pump. Now, on old cars, that wasn't quite as critical as it is now because some of your old cars maybe only ran 25, 30, 40 at the most pounds of fuel pressure. Uh Newer cars can run 50 to 60 pounds of fuel pressure, which is much more difficult. They're also far, far more precisely regulated. Not only that, the older cars had a fuel pressure regulator up on the front of the car, and the fuel ran up to the front, returned through the regulator back to the back. And that big loop of fuel tended to cool the fuel down. Right. Now they're mostly regulated from within the gas tank. It's done electronically. There's a sensor on the fuel rail, and the pump is varied in speed depending on how much pressure it wants. So there's no more loop. It's called a returnless system now. That's right, electronically controlled returnless system. And what happens is that by all the fuel staying in the tank now, there's no longer that big loop of fuel to be cooled, so the fuel gets much hotter. Correct. And as it gets less and less fuel there to dissipate the heat, the pump gets hotter and hotter. And, of course, with any electrical device, as it gets hot, you're prone to failure. Right, and it's not going to go out the first time or even no. the 15th time, but well, you, you are definitely putting a hurting on that pump. That's right, and on some of the new stuff, from what I understand, if you run it out of gas just one time, you can actually permanently damage the pump. Now, the other side of the coin is when you overfill the tank, that's where you sit there and you keep clicking it after it clicks off the first time. Uh-huh. 
on the newer cars that have advanced EVAP, EVAP systems uh-huh. on them, what can happen is the fuel can back up into the charcoal canister. And when that happens, it's going to break that canister down because it's just designed to work with fumes Correct. and not with fuel. And the charcoal will get into all the solenoids, and you can easily end up with an eight $900 repair bill on your hands. Sure, because there's all kind of solenoids and valves and all kind of things in Gizmos. there to damage. <laughs> That's right. And what your first thing you normally notice, check engine pops on. Or you'll go to fill your tank with gas, and the nozzle just keeps cutting off, keeps cutting off. Uh-huh. You can't hardly get gas to go in the tank because it won't vent. Right. So every time you squeeze your nozzle, the nozzle cuts off, and that's a dead giveaway as well. And generally, the check engine light's not too far behind that. So, But those are the things that cause that. So just a real bad practice. If you don't know about it, you might want to read that article, see what you think. Tons of other good articles on there as well. Not only that, but we have the vehicle questions. We have our agco free t-shirt contest where you can win an agco t-shirt we're giving away the newly coveted t-shirt or are we uh t-shirt? just kind of depends on my mood all right <laughs> that's, that's which one you get there and of course the other way you can get an agco t-shirt is by calling from the furthest distance if you happen to be outside of the baton rouge calling area you can Correct. just call in whoever calls in the furthest distance will get a free agco t-shirt shipped to them and that's about that pop on there see what you think i think you'll really like it Hey, we're going to go to our phone lines. We've got Daryl online. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. Sir. Okay, 1999 Cutlass. Yes, sir. Okay, every time I make a tight turn with my car, uh-huh. my gas needle goes to empty. It's re- it, the level reads empty. What do you think that maybe could be? That's when it's got a full tank of gas? or Yeah, yeah, even with a full tank. Yeah. Even a half a tank. It just, when I make real tight turns, uh-huh. it, the, the needle goes to empty, and it stays empty until I restart the car again. Daryl, I would say there's one or two possibilities that come to my mind immediately. One is there's a baffle inside of the fuel tank. Mm-hmm. And what that baffle does keeps gas from sloshing around in the tank like when you turn a corner. Okay. And sometimes those baffles will break loose. And when they do, if you turn a corner, the baffle can actually shift over. It may push the fuel center unit. Okay. It may just read that way until you reset it by turning the key off and on. That would exactly. be one possibility. Okay. Another would be like a loose wire or something in it that when you're turning, it's kind of stretching and pulling the wire connection apart. All right. uh, has the fuel pump ever been replaced in the car or any uh, work not been done? Not to my knowledge. It's 1999. I bought it about six years ago. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, it, it hasn't been replaced. Yeah, what I would probably do, Daryl, is get under the car with the key on, have someone watch the gauge, and just kind of grab those wires and shake on them a little bit, kind of tug on them and what have you, and see if you can duplicate the problem. And if you can, then I would suspect probably more likely a wire or connection. I know they had some trouble back in that time period of the ground wire on the connector going into the fuel tank burning up. I think it's a fuel pump. Uh, probably not, no. Uh, there is a sender unit that's on the fuel pump, which... It could be something like that, but the thing that bugs me is why does it only do it when you turn a corner? Yeah, yeah, like you say, the gas shifting. Right, it's the shifting of the gas or it's something moving in the body that's bringing on, which sounds more like either a connection or something moving. See, if it was just a bad sender unit, why wouldn't it do it just going down the road? Yeah, exactly. You know, when you hit a bump or something and it doesn't. So, yeah, I would suspect those, like I said, I get in a car, pull on the wires, tag on them a little bit, see if you can get it to do it. If you can't do it, then more likely it's going to be like a baffle or something broken loose inside the tank. I know I've seen that happen more than one hey, time. Great, guys. Thank you. All right, thanks, All right, sir. Bye-bye. Right. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? I'll put you right up at the top of the list and get some information to you. Be a great time to call, too. Because That's right. All our at, lines are wide open. <laughs> at, at the end of the show, they're they ready to throw us out of here. That's so. right. 
I had a fellow who had a fuel gauge that was not working, and his car had been in a fairly minor collision. Uh-huh. And what we found when we removed the tank, because we had no fuel pressure, and removed the tank, and it was that baffle had broken loose inside the tank. Apparently, the slosh of the fuel when the car was wrecked, that sudden stop, had pushed the pickup tube up out of the fuel. Uh-huh. And the car actually died and wouldn't run, and we had to drop the tank, had to actually replace the tank in this particular case. Right, because that baffle is actually just a compartment where the fuel pump sits into it, and it is bonded to the bottom of the right. gas tank. So once it comes loose, there's nothing that I know of that has been made yet that will bond it back yeah, together. Not under gasoline. <laughs> under gasoline. So the entire unit has to be replaced right. with a new one. More and more, these are all made out of plastic. They're not made out of steel like in the old days. They used to be kind of soldered oh, together. Man, plastic tanks have been out since the late 90s. Oh, yeah, a long, long time. And when I first saw plastic gas tanks, I kind of... Yeah, uh, nice same way. <laughs> I got to say, overall, they've been sort of a blessing because you don't have near the corrosion problem you had with the old gas tanks where they rust up inside. Exactly. You don't have the rusting problem. And really, we've seen surprisingly few failures on them some of the chevrolet trailblazers and stuff had a problem with tanks cracking in them uh-huh. and those i think were under recall for that problem so that was a, a bonding process that wasn't completed or something, something like that done right yeah the tank would actually get a crack in it when it did check engine light pop on for an evap code or you start smelling gas fumes right that was a pretty common issue but that's sort of the exception really hadn't seen a lot a lot of trouble no not at all fuel tanks you know, other than that problem let's go back to our phone lines brian good morning brian Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing great, Doing sir. Great. I have a 94 four-wheel drive Toyota pickup. Uh-huh. Just recently started its manual. When I stop at the red light, the RPMs and the engines racing up and down, up and down between 1,000 and 1,600. Okay, yes, sir. There are one of the more common things that causes that, and I can't guarantee this is it, so don't go changing parts without testing it further, but it's a part called a throttle position sensor. And what it is is just sort of a little rheostat that attaches to the throttle body. And what it does is that when you mash the accelerator pedal, it increases and decreases the voltage going back to the PCM. And by that, it knows what position the throttle blade is in. Now, because it's sitting at an idle most of the time, or more times than not, or shortly off of idle, what happens is it tends to wear, and that's where the problems will occur. Now, if you get a bad spot in that sensor, and at an idle, it just happens to be sitting on that bad spot, it may lose the signal to the PCM. And when that happens, it doesn't know where the throttle's at. So it's searching for that throttle. It kind of moves up, moves down, moves up, moves down. And it'll generally be over a four to 600 RPM range is what it's going to do. When it gets That's up to it 1,600, is. it's going to shut down and go back down start looking again. When it gets down around seven or eight, it's going to start picking back up. Now, I can't guarantee you that's it because there are a few other things that can cause it as well. What you'd have to have to isolate that, Brian, would be a digital lab scope, and you'd hook the digital lab scope in line and watch the signal when it's occurring, and when the signal drops out, then you know for sure that's it. And that's a pretty expensive part from Toyota. I want to say that's a $300 part. So it's not something you just go change just on a maybe. It's barely possible that a vacuum leak can cause the same kind of an issue particularly depending on where it is, because if you're getting unmetered air into the engine, what happens is that the computer's watching the mass airflow sensor and it says, hey, I got too much air here, and it, so it starts shutting it back, and then it starts to go lean, and then you pick, and it can do the same sort of a thing. The third thing is, particularly if it started doing it after you changed the battery, and that is a dirty throttle body, 
if the throttle body is dirty, every time you disconnect the battery, it's going to lose its idle function. And it has to relearn that. But if the throttle body is dirty so that the blade can't return all the way to zero, sometimes it has trouble relearning and it pulls up and down like that. And not only after changing the battery, but if you've got a loose connection on the battery. That's right. Anytime it doesn't see battery voltage, it thinks that it has to go back and relearn everything because it loses its memory. Right. Weeks ago, they changed the water pump and they and the timing belt and all, and the man did disconnect the battery. Is that about when it started? Yes, that's when it started. Okay. It doesn't do it every time. I'm yeah, right. Brian, now, what I would do time. first off is clean the throttle body real well. Now, you have to have a special cleaner to clean that throttle yeah. body with. Don't use brake cleaner or anything like that. It has to be throttle body cleaner for the mere reason that it has an anodized coating on it to seal it and anything that eats that anodized coating off will let air pass through the pores in, and it will cause you a, a whole lot of grief yeah, you can, and you're going to end up having to change the whole throttle right, body. Right, end up ruining the throttle body. But get the right cleaner for it. Just carefully clean the throttle body and once you do that, you're going to have to go ahead and disconnect the battery again <laughs> to lose idle and then reconnect it and what it's going to do it's going to idle real rough at first and then it'll kind of smooth out. Just let it sit there and park and do that. Once it kind of smooths out, drop it into drive with your foot on the brake and let it sit there and do its thing. Then turn the air conditioner on and, again, let it sit there and do its thing. And after those three things, it'll kind of relearn idle, and that may clear up your problem as well. Okay. Very good information, gentlemen. All I right. enjoy your show. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We've got to take a quick little break. Lee, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year. Car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakquel. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, put a 225 in front of there. You can reach us from anywhere in the United States. Mm, there you go. We'd really, sure like to hear from you. Well, that's right. We've got lots and lots of folks out there who do listen to us on either iHeart or Stitcher or maybe think WJBO.com has a yeah. stream of the show where you can listen uh, live. And if you happen to be listening from outside our call area, we'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and give us a call. I wanted to mention Daryl had called last week with a that 99 Cutlass, and he was talking about there was no dipstick on. I think we wrongly told him that that right. vehicle originally had a dipstick. Right. And got back to the shop Monday morning. First thing when I asked Josh about it, I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that vehicle, I think it's a 1465E, actually did not have a dipstick. It right. came with a red fill plug. And you have to remove a little pipe plug. I think it's an eighth-inch pipe plug on the side of the case to check the fluid level. And just have to make sure you remove the correct 
yeah, plug. Well, because right. if, if you remove the wrong one, well, yeah, you could actually damage the transmission. Well, if you remove the band adjustment, it falls down inside there the band, you go. And then you're in real trouble. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I just wanted to make that correction because I know we did tell him that that didn't. Right. Work. You actually crank it up and get it up to a certain temperature. Right. You take that little plug out, and right. the fluid comes out, then it's full. That's right. And if not, you take the red plug out the top, and you add, add fluid more. to it until you get fluid running out of the little right. pipe plug. And put it back together, and you're good to go. Darrell did stop by the shop earlier this week. He said he had added some fluid to it, and that did clear his problem. That's up. great. So it was so low on fluid. So anyway, hopefully we saved him a bunch of grief there. Yeah. We're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got Lee on the line. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. Enjoy the show. Thanks, sir. I got probably just a little simple matter. Uh, someone just told me a few minutes ago, I had the radio on, thought maybe I'd utilize Lewis's expertise there you and go. get a quick answer. Sure. I have a Mazda 6, uh-huh. and I was told I have a rear brake light out. Okay. Is that something that can be changed easily? Am I going to need any kind of special tools for that or no special tools, Lee. Some of them are a bit tricky to get out, but basically you just go into the trunk and there's going to be some carpeting that you can have to pull back out of the way so that you can see the backside of it. Mm-hmm. Most of them, you can get to them from inside the trunk. It's got a socket and you either twist it and turn it and pull it out. Some okay. of them, you would have to remove the bolts and actually take the taillight assembly off. Right. Some of them have a 10 millimeter nut that actually holds it in there. And then some of them have what they call a thumb nut. You can right. actually grab it with your hand and uh-huh. unscrew it, Plastic take cut. the assembly out, and then you can take the socket out the assembly. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure exactly you, how that one's made. If you look at it, you'll see it'll either have just a rubber connector passing through the trunk. If that's the case, then the taillight has to come out, or you'll see the socket there, in which case you just kind of turn it a quarter turn, and it'll generally come out. But not real difficult, simple hand tools and a little bit okay. of time. And I ought to be able to just buy a bulb or auto parts store? Yes, sir. The only thing, what we've seen, Lee, a lot, a lot of light bulbs that are entering the U.S. now are made in China. And uh-huh. we get those in, and they actually are the wrong wattage, and they tend to burn up the sockets and cause other problems. Okay. So try to find a name brand bulb, something like a Wagner or Phillips or something like that. Okay. And not just some no-name Chinese bulb. And most of your parts store? I would think one of the better stores would. Okay. We had a gentleman come in earlier this week. He had changed the bulbs. His still wouldn't work. And I pulled it out. Boy, it had China written big old oh, yeah. bulb. <laughs> pulled it out, put a Wagner bulb, and it fixed it. Okay. So it wasn't even good right out the box. There you go. <laughs> okay. All right. That helps. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. man. Yes, Bye-bye. sir. Bye. Uh-huh. All right. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we're going to go back to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. I'm here. Go ahead. I have a question. My husband has a Dodge Diesel uh-huh. 2500 yes, 4x4. He's experiencing when he turns the blinkers on, like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Okay. If he turns the left signal on, sometimes the right one blinks. If he turns the dimmers on, the windshield wipers and washer. Yes, ma'am. So that is any- almost always going to be some crossed up wires, and the most common place that that occurs is if he has a trailer hitch on it with a trailer connection. Go back uh, and look at the trailer yeah. wiring on it and see if maybe they've dragged on the road and they skin up and they're touching somewhere. What's happening is that the power is crossing over through a ground circuit and it's backing up into other circuits, and so that's why it's doing all those things. Now, it could be any wire anywhere on the truck, and it could even be the turn signal switch shorted out internally. But the most common thing by far, go look at the trailer wiring real, real well. What we do most of the time when they come in with sort of problems like that, the first thing we do is just disconnect the trailer wires completely. You know, just disconnect the connector completely. And if the problem goes away, then we know that's where it's at. 
But that's mo- almost always where you're going to find that kind of problem. Okay, great. All righty. Thanks for your help. Thank you, yes, ma'am. ma'am. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. 499 The number, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. That's a real common issue, and like I said, most time we do find that in that trailer connection. Right, and usually that connection has a plug-in to the harness. Right. So it's just simple as just unplugging that section of harness. Right. We're going back to our phone lines with Barry. Good morning, Barry. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Great. Okay, listen to your show every week, but unfortunately, I have to call you this time. Okay. Okay, I got a 1992 Chevrolet Astro van. Okay. I get it in the morning, crank it up, run fine, I go to the store, go back home, wait 30 minutes, get back in it, crank it up. It will not crank, okay. but it will turn over. I can yeah. spin it. Yeah, it'll crank, but it won't start. start. Yes, it'll crank, but it will not start. Uh-huh. Okay. Is there any... What kind of ideas can yeah. you give me? The most the, the, common thing on that, Greg, is going to be something like the fuel pressure regulator is dumping off into the intake manifold and flooding the engine, particularly if it sits for a while and it will start eventually. Okay. And that's a fairly big deal on that because I think that's going to probably be central port injection. It is. They had quite a bit of trouble with that setup, so much so that GM actually revised it, came out with a multi-port setup to actually replace it as an entirety, and they sell it at a bit of a discounted price, but it's still pretty expensive, and it's still a pretty good job to change it. Right. You have to pull the in, upper intake off, and it's down underneath there. You just take that whole mess out, throw it away, and put the port injection. The advantage is it's going to run better than it ever ran before. It's going to idle better and get better gas mileage. But that's okay. a lot of times what it is. What you'd have to so, do is look down the throttle body with a little light or something, and you'll see a real clean spot inside that carboned-up intake, and that's where the gas is running. The regulator is actually underneath the plastic part and toward mm-hmm. the back of the engine, and it's real mm-hmm. hard to see. And what happens when that regulator starts leaking? It runs the excess fuel off into the number 6 port and floods the engine. Right. That's why it won't start right. after it sits. You know, when you crank it up in the morning, of course, it's been sitting all night. It's cleared itself up. But you drive it, you cut it off, and let it sit for a few minutes, and it starts to drizzle down in there, and it floods the engine, and it won't crank again until it sits long enough for it to evaporate back out. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? I'm putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Back to our phone lines with Greg. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Love yes. your show. Thanks, sir. Got a 05 Yukon X, uh, XL, and it's always cranked pretty much right at the first little yes, ignition switch. 
lately it's been just kind of having a turn and turn and, and eventually a crank. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to a little workaround where I crank it about three or four times, let the engine spin over, stop it, and then I hit it the second time and it just pops off the mm-hmm. problem. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's? Greg, that's going to be one of two things almost every time. What you could try next time, instead of cranking it like you're doing now as far as the workaround goes, just turn the key to on, but don't start it. Just turn it to on so the lights come on. Turn it off. Turn it back to on and turn it off. Do that a couple times, then hit it and see if it starts right up. Because what happens most time is that either the fuel pressure regulator is leaking, in which case it's draining off the fuel pressure on the fuel rail, or the check valve and the fuel pump is leaking and the fuel is draining back to the gas tank. Now, the reason that cranking it like that works is that every time you turn the key off and on, it runs the pump for about a second. And when the pump runs, it pushes the gas back up to the front, so eventually it gets back up, wham, it starts right up. Now, the way you would check that, first off, is look on the fuel rail on the left-hand side. There's going to be a little round piece, I guess about the size of a silver dollar, with a vacuum line going into it. And that's the fuel pressure regulator. And if you pull the vacuum line off and shake it, it should have no gas at all in that line. It should be bone dry. If there's any gas in that line, replace that fuel pressure regulator. Because what that will do is that it will allow the fuel pressure to drop off, but it will also flood the engine because the gas goes and goes into the intake, which kind of floods the engine, making it hard to start. Now, if neither one, if it has no gas in there at all, the next thing you'd have to do is put a fuel pressure gauge on the truck crank it up, bring the fuel pressure up, cut it off, and watch the fuel pressure and see how fast it drops off. If it drops to zero real quick, then the fuel pump is actually leaking down inside the tank, and it's going to be the fuel pump that's fixing to go out. And right now you have the perfect time to take care of this because shortly it's going to leave you on the side of the road somewhere. That's right. And you're going to be end up with a tow bill plus a repair service. That's right. So right now is time to fix it before it gets any worse. Because How many miles you got on it, Greg? 28. Yeah, well, you ride right. about on time for a Chevrolet fuel pumps. That's about as long as they generally go. And that mm-hmm. pump is inside the tank, so it's a bit of a struggle unless you're real, real handy and you like doing stuff like that. Might be better off to take it to a shop and have them do it for you. No, I think that's the best idea. Yeah. <laughs> that tank's kind of heavy to fool with, and some people take the bed off the truck, which I don't know if that's any easier or not. But Well, if, if you don't have the wherewithal to lift the vehicle up and work underneath it, then the next step for a pickup truck would be just to raise that side of the bed up you can do the work right there at the tank without removing it from the truck. Right. Put the new pump yeah. in and set the bed back but, down. But being a Yukon, the tank has to come out the bottom. That's right. Yeah. yeah there is yeah. no other no other reason, no other choice to get it out. Yeah, and that's a good time to do it because when they start doing that, eventually the pump's going to fail, and when it fails, it's going to leave you stranded. So. And and you're one of the lucky ones because most of the time they just quit working. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give you uh, any warning. Don't give you any warning at all. Well, that's good to know. I guess I have to make a call to you next week. Yes, yeah, sir. Right, that'd sir. be great. Okay, guys. Thanks, Thank Greg. You Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh-huh. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Vic's been patiently holding. Good morning, Vic. Good morning, sir. I'm working on a 2005 Dodge Caravan for this young lady that I go to church with. Uh-huh. And she says she'll turn the lights on, and they'll flicker off for a minute. Or, well, not a minute, but, you know, a couple of seconds. And then they'll kick back on. And I don't see any kind of relays or fuses for this particular headlight system. I wonder if it's a body control module acting up. Most of the time, that is controlled through the body control module. I would have to see the wiring diagram. I'm not familiar with that exact problem, Vic. Yes. I guess what you'd have to do is put a voltmeter on it and just see what's happening to the voltage. But if it's kind of, they flicker on and off and then they just go off. Well, no, the thing is, though, she'll turn them on. 
they'll come on for just a second, go off for about two or three seconds, and come back on. Okay. And the thing it has like a three second delay, if I remember correctly, on this vehicle. Well, I don't remember the time, but where it will shut off the lights and all of the battery safe. You know, say if you just leave the lights on. Yeah. Yes, sir. And I think all that's handled through the body control module. You just have to get that to someone who has a star tester to test it, which is a Dodge tester. Yeah, and sir. most independent shops are going to have that type of a tester. So you could connect to it, and then you can see what the body module sees. You can see if it's possibly an input to the module. If it's not an input and you're not getting an output and you got power and ground, then it's going to be the module itself. There's yeah. probably some sort of an ambient light sensor on there, Vic. I would probably yeah. check that, too. I was checking. It doesn't have any automatic lights or anything on it. It doesn't have an ambient light sensor at all on it? It, well, it doesn't have automatic lights, so I just assumed it didn't have an ambient light. Ambient light yeah, some do, some That's don't. It's hard to check. So yeah. yeah. I would probably bring it to someone who has some information on it. Looking service information, you'd probably be able to find that. I got to say, we have changed a few body control modules, not for that problem, but for various problems on that vehicle. They seem to have a lot of trouble with that, so it could very well be the body module. We're going back to our phone lines with Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Hey, Lewis. Hey, man. It was about a week or so ago. I'm working, started working yesterday, changing the spark plugs on a 07 F-150. Okay. I went ahead and ordered the, a tool to get them out, the broken ones out, mm-hmm. and I got them all out. Okay. When I on two of them, plug broke off. You know, the tip of it stayed in there. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I got the tool to push the porcelain through. It broke off the uh, the tip of the plug down to the cylinder. Okay. And that fell in there, and a little piece of porcelain. Sounds, Pretty much done at that point. Sounds like the head's coming off. Yeah, engine's gonna have to come out, and the head's gonna have to come off because that porcelain's in that cylinder, and you crank it over, it's gonna I mean, right, parcel is a whole lot harder than cast iron. It's going to beat that cylinder all up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and then yeah, I tried I, to I, I put some duct tape on a spark plug trying to fish it out. Then the duct yeah. tape off one of them. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, on, on Unfortunately, you can't get the head off in the vehicle. Right. You actually have to take the cab off that truck. Yeah. You take the cab off and you can get the head off without taking the motor out. Or you can pull the motor out one or the other. But, and then, of course, you're into the timing chains and all that stuff. You have to right. come off to do it. So it's a pretty big job at this point. That's what I figured. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all I right. appreciate it. Okay, all Jonathan. Right, sir. Bye-bye, man. Right. 499-9526. number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Nelson on line. Good morning, Nelson. Hey, how you doing, Lou? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. Back to that guy with the Yukon. I have a Chevrolet Silverado mm-hmm. 2000. Yes, and it does similar thing. It, sometimes it starts really good. Other times you gotta spin it over to get it started. Yes, sir. And I got two hundred thirty-eight thousand miles. So I guess it's my fuel pump or that regulator, huh? One of the other is almost always the case, Nelson. I guess there are probably some other things that could cause that, but I'm gonna tell you, we fix. I guess two or three of those a week, right? And it's almost always one of those two. Is it the regulator that's on the fuel rail? Yes, sir. So the regulator is just sort of a little round piece, about the size of a half a dollar, and it's got a vacuum line going into it. The way to test that, you can just pull the vacuum line off and shake it, and if gas comes out of it, then it's bad. You can also put a vacuum line. pump on it. Vacuum line, yes, sir. right. You can also put a vacuum pump on it and see if it'll hold a vacuum, and if it won't hold a vacuum, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, the diaphragm That's right. right. When that happens, it sucks gas out the fuel rail and go, pulls it into the intake, which floods the engine. All right. Well, I'm going to have to look at that because I, I redid the heads on it. And I, it really, oh, that really worked well. And then after I did it, I'd go to start it, and I noticed it wouldn't start like it used to right, you know, with yeah. the first crank you did. But it wasn't all the time, just sometimes. And I was just, when I was listening, I was like, oh, well, I the, and you might the, want them. The way to tell that, if that 
it is a fuel system problem. Is like I told the other fella. If you just turn the key to on, that's what I'm gonna do. Turn it off. Turn, turn it to on, and it starts right up. And let it cycle a few times. Yeah, it just runs the right pump up. each time. If that covers the problem up, then it's gonna be a fuel system problem. Now, if you do that and it still doesn't start, then you into some other things. And one other thing, kind of an oddball, but I've seen this happen. Check and make sure the plug gap is right. Because they did revise the plug gap on some of those, and you got the plugs gap wrong, it can make them a little bit harder to start. Now, it won't be quite the same thing, but it will crank a few times before it starts. So you might just make sure of that. I guess whatever that on the, I don't know where I got that from. Yeah. That well, book or what? well, yeah, they revised the plug gap on that engine when they went to the new Iridium plugs, and you can't gap Iridium plugs because you'll break the electrode off of them. So right. you so got to check them when they come out the box. If, they're, if their gap is wrong on them, put them back in the box and take them back. That's right. It's got to be the proper gap, but if they are wrong or if you got the different style plugs or whatever, you can end up with problems like that. All right. All right. Appreciate it. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Right, 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive hour we'd love to have you we're going to take one more quick little break and we'll be right back with more hey clint what's that take a look it's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends okay according to the mayan calendar the world goes kaput on december 21st 2012 i got lots to do neighbor uh bog snorkeling punch a whale compete in the world toe wrestling championship i've seen meet julia roberts is scratched off yeah got her autograph too really well it's on the restraining order hey shouldn't repair my car be on the list what? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I think the... I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? I'm glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got David from Louisville, Kentucky. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I got a 96 Explorer, and it's not shifting into overdrive. Okay. So it hurt to drive it like that if I you know, keep the, the RPMs below like 3,000 until I can get it somewhere and get it repaired? or Probably not, but when you say it's not shifting into overdrive, David, exactly what's it doing? Well, it, it shifts fine until it gets up to about you know 55 or 60, and uh-huh. it's staying at around 3,000 RPMs, and it just feels like if I give it any more gas, it's just straining it. It's just not going into overdrive and dropping down on the RPM. What you might want to just try is take and pull the gear shifter from the OD down to the three uh-huh. and see if it downshifts. Uh-huh. Because if you move that shifter down and it drops down, the RPM comes up, then it's actually in overdrive. What it may be doing is not going to lock up. And a lot of people confuse that because it's kind of similar feeling or sensation. What lockup is is that when you're driving along at some speed, normally around 55 miles an hour or so, the torque converter goes to a direct one-to-one lockup clutch, and the RPM will drop. A lot of people think that's another shift, but it's actually, from a mechanical standpoint, it's a little different. That can be a relatively simple problem. It can be something as easy as a brake light switch not working because when it sees brake lights, it goes out of lockup. 
and some oh, people okay. do mistake that. So if it is actually you've lost overdrive, I mean, you could probably drive it until you can get it fixed. I wouldn't keep driving it because let's say the direct clutches are burned up or something like that. It's going to get a whole lot worse real fast. But just try with driving it along, go ahead and drop it down out from OD down to three and see if you can see it's actually shifting again. And if it does, then that means it is in overdrive. If that's the case, try just touching the brake pedal lightly, and the RPM should jump up when you do that. If they don't, then it's probably not going to lock up. Okay. Yeah, now, it's my son's car. He had drove around with the emergency brake on for a little while. Did uh -huh. that might have anything to do with it? Or? I don't think that would really hurt the transmission. It would probably burn the rear brakes up on it, but I don't think yeah. it would hurt the transmission. But I know those have some trouble with the lockup mechanism in them. Now, you won't be able to keep driving it without lockup either because if the check engine light hadn't come on yet, it will. And what happens when it doesn't go to lockup, the temperature of the transmission gets real high because the torque converter is slipping slightly all the time which generates oh, okay. a good deal of heat. So it's something that you probably need to get diagnosed and repaired as soon as possible. It may be a fairly easy fix right now, but it could turn into a big fix down the road if you don't get it fixed. Okay. All, All right. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot, Dave. It. Hey, thanks for calling, right. man. Bye-bye. Thank you. 499-9526, uh, number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got John on the line. Good morning, John. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. I've got a problem that's similar to that fellow that had the trouble with his uh, Chevrolet pickup. With, okay. You know, when you first try to crank it, it won't crank up, mm -hmm. and then you, you have to cycle it a couple times before it'll crank. Yeah, so what kind of vehicle, John? It's an 06 Toyota Avalon V6 engine. Yes, sir. Is that the same thing? I mean, you told him that might just leave him on the side of the road. Could well, I have the same problem? that would definitely leave him on the side of the road. i got to say, Toyota has almost no fuel pump problems that I've seen. Not very common issue on those. I would probably want to check that one, John. When it occurs, what it does is that the starter motor cranks over, roll, 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 and won't start. It just cranks over. Right. It used to. As soon as you, you hit the key, yeah, it, it would start right up. Right. How many miles are on it? Oh, 51,000. Okay, so low mileage. John, I just don't really see a lot of problems with Toyota fuel pumps. I'm not going to say that particular one isn't bad because anything can happen to anything. Pretty simple to diagnose. All we do is bring it in the shop, hook a fuel pressure gauge to it, and turn the key off. And if that is the case, then the fuel pressure is going to drop right off, and I'll be able to see that. But, yes, to answer your initial question, that can leave you stranded because when it starts to malfunction, it means the check valve and the pump is bad. Eventually, it's going to go out. When it does, it's just going to pump in a loop inside the gas tank, and the car's not going to start or it's going to stop running. Okay, but after I crank it the first time mm -hmm. in the morning, uh -huh. then it, it starts right up after that. Yeah, I just want to see that one because that may be a whole different problem, John. I'm not really, it's not a common issue that we see every day. Like the Chevrolets, we see that probably three times a week. Toyota, I don't see this problem a whole lot. There's a number of things that can cause a car not to start, and one of them is not having fuel. Of course, to start, a car has to have fuel at the fuel rail. It's got to have spark you know, firing, and it all has to occur at the proper time, and it's got to have proper compression. So if you interrupt any one of those four, you're going to interrupt the starting sequence. But you just have to see that car and see why. With that lower mileage on it, I would be surprised that the fuel pump we're giving trouble, but you know anything can happen. Is this so. something that happens every morning? Well, yeah, 
after okay. I let it sit overnight. You okay. Know? You need to be prepared to bring this to the shop the night before right. and leave it with them overnight so they can check it first thing in the morning. That's correct. When their problems occur. So they can see what it actually right. does. Okay. Drop it off the night before. And you may have to leave it for a couple of days so it can, can see a cold start, diagnose right. the because problem. Because once they see once it, it starts, diagnose it, and repair it, then they're going to want to see it the next morning to make absolutely sure it is corrected. Right. And yep. then once it starts, it won't occur again. Then you have to wait for it to occur again to do right. some more diagnosis to yeah. it. Now, it's possible, too. That does use a fuel pressure regulator, and it is possible a fuel pressure regulator is draining back into the intake, which could cause to flood the engine, which right. would be the same exact sensation. So it's just not as common on that vehicle. I just really need to see it. What I'd want to do, like Brian said, you drop it off the night before. We'd attach fuel pressure gauge that night. First thing in the morning, uh, have one guy crank over it, another guy sit there and look at the gauge, and you see exactly what's going on. Good. Well, I'll call you boss Monday morning there you go. to set up an appointment. All, All right, righty, John. All right. Thanks, Thank man. you. Bye-bye. All right, 499 the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. That's not a very common problem that we see on Toyota. Not hardly at all. Don't Most have of much it's fuel the, the domestic Ford Chevrolet, mostly Chevrolet. Mostly Chevrolet by very, very, very wide margin. They've had more fuel pump problems, I guess, than everybody else put together. Uh-huh. And I guess followed by Ford, but... Not real close. Way back yeah, down the line there. Yeah, we probably change one or two Ford fuel pumps a month and probably change 15 Chevrolet right. uh, and GM fuel pumps a month. Especially after they got several years on them and right. over 120, 130,000 miles is right. usually when they go out. On Toyota, we may see one a year. Yeah, you know, just, very I'm seldom. I'm not saying Toyotas don't have problems of any kind, but they sure don't have that particular problem. No. And like you said, anything can happen to any vehicle. If you happen to get a tank full of bad fuel, dirty fuel, or high sulfur fuel, that can take a fuel pump out on any car. Definitely. And doesn't take very, very long to do it. And what can happen is, let's say, oh, you're out on the road somewhere traveling, you're running a little low on fuel, you pull off in this little rinky-dink rinky -dink gas, gas station, <laughs> fill up, and just happen to get a load of high sulfur fuel, well, that can damage the pump. May not fail right then. May not show up for three, four, five, six months. Maybe a year later. Uh huh. But then, when it does finally show up, you don't ever remember that as having occurred. Right. Nothing to contribute to the failure. Right. So you're just kind of baffled by it. You know what caused this to happen. Right. And it all links back to that original occurrence. I know we see a lot of times people use private label fuel, and I don't want to use any names on the radio, but this is gas that you buy not at a regular gas. You buy from like a department store uh -huh. or something like that. And, of course, there's one very, very big department store that sells gas now, and right. people, I'll buy my gas there. And they seem to be the ones that have the most trouble. They have way, way, way more trouble than the people using name brand fuel. I can tell you by a wide margin. That's just my experience. And I have never been able to get anybody to go on record as saying what the difference is in that. And you probably will never, probably never, will. never will. And, of course, a lot of people will say, well, it all comes out the same refinery. Yes, it does. It does. And it all comes out the same still. And when that fuel leaves that still, it is all pretty much the same. Exactly. It's base gasoline. However, they start to add additives to it, and they filter it to clean it, and they strip things out of it like sulfur and so on. And I'm not sure they do that on all of it. On their name brand product, they do. But on the private label stuff, I'm not so sure what they're doing. And to say that all fuel is the same except for the additives is like saying all people are the same except for their personality. Right. Well, that's true. But that means Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler are basically exactly <laughs> the same except for their personality. There you, you go. Know? <laughs> but that's a pretty big difference. That is a big difference. <laughs> and 
we have every time had a car come in with major fuel system problems, and I'm talking about either a bunch of clogged up injectors or a burned up fuel pump or oh, a gas gauge that doesn't work at low mileage, every single time I've ever asked, where do you buy your fuel, the answer's always come. XYZ. Yeah, not a name brand station, right. either a private label type station or at a department store or whatever. So, you know, you make your own mind up about that, but what I've seen, the cheap gas is normally three, four cents a gallon cheaper, maybe five. On a 20-gallon fill-up, that's a dollar on one tank full. Uh-huh. A fuel pump can easily run $900. Exactly. It takes so, a lot of cheap fuel to, to make up for a yeah, fuel you, pump. Yeah, you probably ain't never, ever going to come out ahead on that little deal. <laughs> I, I've got two or three stations in town that I rely on mm-hmm. and have had very little trouble. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, I had an Astro that had 180,000 miles, and that's the, right. the pump finally went out on it. Mm-hmm. But 180,000 miles, it was past due. Well, that's right. You think of how many of those go out at 100,000, so All you're right. way, way you know, pass uh, almost double what most people get out of them. Right. I'm the same way. I generally, I like Exxon products. Not only are they really good products, of course, they're manufactured right here in the Baton Rouge area, so I kind of like supporting the local economy as much as I can. And I have just had no fuel system-related problems with any vehicle I've ever owned. I know I went to change the fuel filter on mine the other day, dropped the filter off, emptied out the input side, and it was as clean as the output side. There you go. So that's real hard to argue that point with me, you know, that and, again, you can buy Exxon gas at some of the local high-volume stations as cheap as you can buy at a cheap jump. Oh, definitely. I don't see where there's really much of a difference in price. No. And I don't know if that's the case all around the country, but uh, certainly here it is. Certainly. So, hey, we're just about out of time. We're going to go ahead and start backing on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to iTunes and give us a rating. It moves us up on the list and... Makes us real happy. That's right. It <laughs> definitely makes my day when I go in there and see an extra rating. I always go back and read all those and really appreciate the th- nice things people have to say about us. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.